Exactly. <laughs> so! Who the devil are you? Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. My name is Mr. Burns. Excellent. Oh, my God. Okay, so because it's been so long since I've recorded, I completely forgot that I have a brand new opening. And that genuinely shocked me. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? Um, yeah, wow, that was, that was a nice little surprise. Hi. It's your bestest pal, Perry, back with another delightfully sinful episode of Hello, Mr. Burns, your favorite podcast about The Simpsons that might help you win pub trivia. Today's episode, as I said, comes a little bit later than my usual weekly episodes. Full disclosure, first of all, I injured my wrist and I couldn't write. And then I went on a six-week holiday and didn't take my microphone. So, um, yeah, but that's okay because we're back, we're raring, we're ready to go. And we have a very fun episode today. Today's episode has a long title and it's a bit of a pain in the ass to write all the time. It is two cars in every garage and three eyes on every fish. And uh, what's your name, son? I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? (laughs) Journalists have described this episode as a satire on both American politics and environmentalism. And it gets its name from a slogan in a political advert used in Herbert Hoover's presidential campaign in 1928. And that campaign was... A chicken in every pot, which the advert later amplified with, and a car in every backyard to boot. So this episode is largely a reference to the movie Citizen Kane, and I'm going to save most of that research for when we get to season five, episode four, Rosebud. Whenever I see Rosebud, I know people think about Citizen Kane, but all I see is The Sims. But I think it was only The Sims 1 that used Rosebud, and then from 2 onwards, it might have been Motherlode. Instead, we're going to dive very, very briefly into the most radioactive zones on the Earth. We're going to talk about Charles Darwin and stuff I didn't know about him, and my very favorite three-eyed little fishy, Blinky. All right, let's get started with a little episode synopsis. We begin the episode with Bart and Lisa at Ye Olde Fishing Lake, right near the power plant. Bart catches a three-eyed fish. We later find out the fish's name is Blinky. A passing reporter spots him with Blinky, and suddenly it's a media circus. The state nuclear inspectors decide to investigate the plant and find numerous safety violations. Mr. Burns is ordered to fix the plant or else it'll get closed down. After a very relatable night of drinking and thinking, Mr. Burns decides that the only option is to run for governor so that he can pass a law that'll allow for his plant to stay open. At home, we see Marge and Homer and the family chatting about it. Marge says that she suspects that Burns is only attempting to gain political office in order to cover up problems at his business, and that she is in full support of Governor Mary Bailey for re-election. Homer makes a very clear point that he's only supporting Mr. Burns so he won't get fired. During the campaign, Mr. Burns does a TV commercial with with an actor portraying Charles Darwin in an effort to explain that Blinky is just an evolutionary miracle. So you're saying this fish might have an advantage over other fish. It may in fact be a kind of super fish. I wouldn't mind having a third eye, would you? (laughs) No. To help boost his numbers, he decides to uh, go to the Simpsons household for a very staged dinner with the press. In a very adult conversation... Marge says that she's upset that Homer is allowing Mr. Burns to use their family, claiming that she doesn't want to snuggle with anyone who's not letting her express herself. But you do get to express yourself and the lovely home you keep and the food you serve. Okay, Homer. Fair enough. You got it. All right. Good. That's it. That's how I'm going to express myself. That's right. Good night. This gives Marge an idea. 
The dinner party begins and um, it's very, it's tense. There's a lot of problems. It's all very fake. Um, Lisa's been fed some lines to ask Mr. Burns and she's not feeling too great about it. She goes into the kitchen and she's sulking, telling Marge that, Oh, Mom, that felt awful. I'm sorry, dear. It will all be over soon. But, Mom, we've become the tools of evil. Lisa, you're learning many lessons tonight, and one of them is to always give your mother the benefit of the doubt. Marge brings out the main course for the dinner, and it is Blinky. Mr. Burns tries to take a forkful of Blinky with the media and the press and all of his team watching closely, and he puts a piece of Blinky's face in his mouth. Ugh. And um, after chewing it once, he spits it across the table, essentially ruining the entire campaign. So some little quotables of notable in this episode are, this is Mr. Burns's political marketing campaign team. They're trying to find dirt on Mary Bailey. I love this bit. Their job to turn this Mr. Burns into this. Why are my teeth showing like that? Because you're smiling. Ah, excellent. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of trickery I'm paying you for. Have you uh, found any dirt on Mary Bailey? Well, we've gone through her garbage. We've talked to her maid. And so far, the only negative thing we have found was from some guy who dated her when she was 16. Ah, and he, uh, he filled her up. Ah! And this is Mr. Burns, frustrated with the Blinky the Fish campaign, smashing up the Simpsons' living room at the end of the episode. Mr. Ah! Burns, I hardly see what destroying our meager possessions is going to accomplish. Ah! She's right. Take me home, Smithers. We'll destroy something tasteful. All right, let's examine this episode a little bit closer. All right, it's time to have a look at my favorite character of the entire episode. I hate that fish. All right, so definitely the standout star of this entire episode is my favorite, Blinky the Three-Eyed Fish. Blinky's origin story is just like his life, short and sweet. Blinky, you'll miss it, but Blinky has previously made a brief appearance in an older episode. Um, If you remember back to Homer's Odyssey, you will see him swimming around in the lake outside of the plant. So when the writers and animators were working on Homer's Odyssey, the writers kind of fell in love with the design of the fish so much that they decided they wanted to devote an entire episode to him. Ever since the episode's initial airing, Blinky has become a bit of a mascot for news and research papers regarding nuclear waste and mutation in animals. There's actually an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to moment in politics where Blinky the fish has been thrown in. It's really interesting to have a look at these kind of characters that we see from The Simpsons because they really are ingrained within pop culture and um, not even pop culture, just in, in everyday society today. Like, can you imagine explaining to someone from like a medieval peasant that in the future there's going to be a TV show? Oh, that's going to be fun to explain. But there's going to be a TV show that's designed for kids, but it's actually designed for adults. And in it, there's going to be a story about a little fish that has three eyes, that it's kind of like representative of corruption in politics and how the media skews um, skews our perceptions of politicians and how our impact on the environment is getting overshadowed by corporate greed. And I'm telling you, this medieval peasant would just kind of explode on the spot. So I don't know if anyone's got a time machine, give it a go. Let me know. Be kind of fun, right? That, and I know it's a meme, but giving a medieval peasant a Listerine strip would be a lot of fun. Back to the episode. I always just assumed that Blinky the fish died during this episode because we quite literally see him on the dinner table. And then there's that really gross close-up scene of Mr. Burns sticking a fork in his face and pulling it out. And there's like a little flappy bit of skin. Yeah. So I thought that this is where he died. However, according to a lot of the Simpsons Wikipedia pages, 
Blinky the fish was actually killed by Michael DeGraff Express's waste in season 33, episode eight. I'm going to be honest, I don't pay attention to any of the Simpsons episodes beyond maybe season 14, 15. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's another Blinky the fish. Maybe I always thought Blinky was his name, but maybe it's his subspecies. Um, We'll never know. During the really fun part of the episode where Mr. Burns is doing that TV commercial with the fake Charles Darwin, he says this about Blinky. The truth is, this fish is a miracle of nature with a taste that can't be beat. Mm-mm. I would like to note that it can be argued that Mr. Burns' claim that the fish is a product of natural selection is validated by himself by spitting the fish out. This is what I mean. A tastier fish is more likely to be eaten by a predator than a bitter tasting fish. I don't know where I heard this. It might have been on one of my weird conspiracy podcasts or it might have just been on one of those Vice documentaries. But I remember hearing about how um, humans as a species, we're not very tasty to animals, apparently. We're, we're like, I'm not sure if we're quite bitter tasting or if our meat is too gamey, but like a lot of predators would prefer not to eat a human because we're, we're just not tasty, which is a little bit upsetting. I get it. Back to Blinky evolution and bitter tasting fish. According to the Simpsons Wikipedia and other Simpsons fans who I will say are taking this a little bit too far, say that when he claims that Blinky the fish would have a taste that can't be beat, he is foretelling his own political downfall. Speaking of Charles Darwin and um, the actor portraying Charles Darwin in this episode, let's do a quick dip into Charlie Darwinie. Let's ask an actor portraying Charles Darwin what he thinks. Hello, Mr. Burns. Oh, hello, Charles. So if you weren't listening biology class, Darwin was a naturalist who presented compelling evidence that all species of life have evolved over time from common ancestors through a process that he called natural selection. So his book was called On the Origin of Species, or more completely, if you want to be really annoying, it's actually titled On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life. Mm. Anyway, so that was published on 24th of November, 1859. And it's a work of scientific literature that is considered to be the foundation of evolutionary biology. Skipping over his wonderful and illustrious career, um, I did find these little nuggets of information about him that I really love that I think I should share with you guys. So he actually got very, very, very sick while he was writing the Beagle Papers. Um, So yeah, he was really unwell. After resting from his illness, he decided to travel back to the UK in July of that year. So he used to write down like little daily notes on animal breeding and um, his scientific discoveries. Of course, he's a scientist. He's always making notes. And it was found that he had a couple of notes and it was like these rambling thoughts on marriage and prospects. To be exact, the two columns were called marry, not marry. Under marry, um, he'd written constant companion and a friend in old age, better than a dog anyhow. And then points against getting married said, less money for books, and it is a terrible loss of time. He eventually did come to the decision to get married, and after discussing it with his father, he decided to go and visit his first cousin, Emma. Ugh. He didn't get around to proposing, but the, uh, the way that he wooed her and convinced her to marry him was he quite literally pulled out the two columns that he'd been working on and read out the advantages and disadvantages of getting married. Apparently his father told him not to, but he did it anyway because he's a rebel without a cause. The Darwins did get married and they ended up having 10 children. Unfortunately, two of them died in infancy. One of the children who died was uh, Annie and she died at the age of 10. 
And this had an absolutely devastating effect on her parents. And it is notable that Charles was a devoted father and very uncommonly attentive to his kids back in those days. It is said whenever they felt ill that he was just beside himself with worry. And he did say that he was worried they might have inherited weaknesses from inbreeding due to the fact that he'd literally just married his first cousin. Um, In 1882, he was diagnosed with what is known as angina pectoris, which then meant disease of the heart. It has been speculated that Darwin might have had chronic Chagas disease. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But basically, this speculation is based on a journal entry written by Darwin describing being bitten by a kissing bug in Mendoza, Argentina in 1835. Anyway, on his deathbed, his last words to his beloved wife slash cousin were, remember what a good wife you've been to me. And then while she rested, he repeatedly told all his kids, it's almost worthwhile to be sick to be nursed by you. Very sweet. So I just wanted to touch on um, radiation and environmentalism and, you know, basically humans ruining the world. Um, To really chat about radiation, its dangers to the human body and the environment, I would have had to have done some very serious research, and I did, and I've got a couple of pages, but it's boring as shit, so we're just going to kind of skim to the fun stuff. One thing that I found that was interesting is the concept of background radiation. Ah, I suppose that's normal background radiation, the kind you'd find in any well-maintained nuclear facility, or for that matter, playgrounds and hospitals. Sorry. So background radiation is kind of different to just regular radiation, right? It's not due to a deliberate introduction of a radioactive source. For example, the lake just near the power plant in The Simpsons, that is not a case of background radiation. That's just normal radiation. Instead, background radiation refers to kind of like this general cosmic buzz that's ever-present in the universe and our silly little lives on this funky little rock. So there's radiation in everything, right? There's radiation in the soil, the rocks, and um, famously bananas. We eat radiation, we get it from external sources, and space is just popping with it. I will say this, if you research background radiation too much, you will get a little bit paranoid as I did and feel kind of uncomfortable in your skin. So don't read into it too much, right? Some areas on earth are just naturally more radioactive than others. Um, I'm not talking about like the elephant foot of Chernobyl because we know where that radiation comes from, right? But instead, these places are just naturally buzzy. There, So some of these areas that we know about, there's one in Iran, there's Brazil, there's India, there's South Australia, and there's China. So the most radioactive inhabited area known on Earth is in Ramsar in Iran. Um, And be prepared, there are some weird words that I'm going to butcher. There's a combined population of about 2,000 residents who live in this radioactive area. And it was found in a couple of houses that the background radiation was reading 80 times more than the safe amount that it should be. Don't you love how good I am at this science? This radioactivity is due to local geology. So there's underground water that dissolves radium in uranium-ridden rocks and carries it to the surface through at least nine known hot springs. These hot springs, it should be noted, are used by locals and tourists as day spas. The areas in Brazil and India have the same kind of radiation. Um, It comes floating up through the soil. Both areas have a couple of villages. And um, of course, the people of these villages have long reported side effects of long-term radiation poisoning. Um, The radioactive zone in South Australia is a parkland. And um, you are given a health warning when you go and not to spend too long there because apparently there's a lot of radon gas. I don't know what it is. It sounds terrible. 
As is tradition, the highly radioactive area in China has very little info, so good luck finding anything from there. Just as a side quest, I would like to do a little quick shout out to my main man, Albert Stevens, who has gone down in history as, and I quote, the most radioactive human ever. Good going, Albert. Woo, Albert, we stand a radioactive king. Mr. Stevens was a house painter from Ohio who was subjected to involuntary human radiation experiments, and he actually survived the highest known accumulated radiation dose. It was all part of a secret government experiment, and it was part of the Manhattan Project. So Stevens was in hospital for a gastric ulcer, which unfortunately got misdiagnosed as terminal cancer. According to Earl Miller, who was the acting chief of radiology at the time, Mr. Stevens was chosen for this study because he was, and I quote, doomed to die. Mr. Stevens didn't know what was happening to him, but over a period of a couple of months and I think a few years, he had plutonium being injected directly into his body without his knowledge or informed consent. He had no idea what was happening. He was like super radioactive for the rest of his life and he died of heart disease 20 years later. And on that wonderful note, we come to the end of another episode of Hello, Mr. Burns, episode four of season two. So the next episode off the chopping block is Dancing Homer, and that's season two, episode five. Dancing Homer, um, this is an episode I don't enjoy, and I'm not sure if it's because I just don't don't care about baseball because I have no feelings towards a mascot. Um, and I think, isn't that the elephant song? The do, 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 Like, that's cute, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what interesting stuff we can find out in this episode. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. My name is Perry. And so concludes our tale. Good night and keep watching the skis. Uh, skies. <laughs>